look, I like to think of this episode as the liberal, as a kind of like going to liberal arts college, you know, <laughs> community college. It's just uh, that's of the Tolarian. If variety. you would like to talk about post-communist pottery, we can do that. <laughs> See, we only get Joey to do that like maybe once or twice an episode, so you're already ahead. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the Commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. We're positive and wholesome this week, guys. Positive and wholesome. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. I am just a little bit dirty, but mostly wholesome. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series, and y'all know I'm entirely wholesome. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks, and here on the EDHREC cast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. Ladies and gents, we have another guest on this week, the man whose job I stole, the silkily-voiced Henry Stukenborg. Hello, everyone. Just to let you know, I am Wholesome Adjacent. <laughs> that sounds that sounds That's about close right. enough yeah henry was the former editor for edhrec for all of the articles and the content that we're putting out there so we wanted to have him on as you know a way to respect the man who kept our creature types from becoming creature typos stop uh, that was <laughs> I'm, I'm about to commit an act of treason and give henry his old job back Hey, hey, I enjoy being the editor now. Come on. It's a lot of fun. Anyway, Henry, how how are things going? How has life been since you... Uh, since I retired? Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Since you retired me with a bullet? <laughs> I hope it wasn't with a bullet. Put put Henry out to pasture is what we're trying to say. That's, yes. I was, I went to, uh, yes. Things have been going uh, very well. My life just got a little too busy for me to keep up with the um, ever-growing uh, load of the uh, awesome content that EDH Rec offers. So um, as finding I just couldn't quite keep up, I decided to um, talk to Jason about handing off the reins. And he said, have I got just the guy for the job? And I said uh, and no. Then, yes, we, and then we got Matt, Joey after that. But yeah, that guy was busy. And so we got Joey. <laughs> You know what? I'm I'm pretty grateful for that turn of events. That uh, that sounds nice to me. Uh, kismet. It was kismet. It was meant to be. Yeah, and Henry, you've not only been an active member of the community for EDHREC, but you've also been an active member of the community for you know Magic generally, especially in the EDH scene. So we wanted to get to know you a little better. Probably starting with how you got into Magic in the first place. Sure. I came into Magic late. Um, I'm, as I often say, and an, I'm an older gentleman. Uh, nearing the midpoint of my life. Uh, and honestly, it started back in 2015. Um, my kids were getting to an age where we could start playing some uh, more complicated games, and I really enjoyed games. Um, I grew up in the 80s uh, when uh, Dungeons & Dragons was you know, just becoming uh, the terror of uh, church groups everywhere. And I decided to share that um, uh, soul debilitating experience with my kids. So we were living in Florida at the time, and we went to a game shop. We found one over in St. Petersburg, uh, Florida. And when we went in there, 
We started piling through the various, he said, well, we're interested in getting back into D&D. He goes, great. And he pulls out like 15 volumes and say, well, you can start with this one and then go to this one and then go to this one. And I go, I don't know that we have time for that much detail. Uh, so he said, oh, well, if you're looking for something a little quicker, have you ever thought about playing magic? And we go, what is that? And he pulls out the starter decks. And myself, my son, my daughter, and my wife sat down with the owner, and he walked us through how to play. And after that, we were pretty much hooked. So that was about the time of Battle for Zendikar was going on. Um, so everyone, when I say that's where I started, they go, my condolences. But when you don't know <laughs> any better, it all seems pretty cool. So uh, we really enjoyed that. And so we, we actually were doing some uh, standard is where we started with. And that's how we were kind of uh, playing some of that. And as we were going along, we kept seeing these other people in the corner, like in groups of four. And I thought, well, you know, we're a group of four. It'd be great to be able to have some way of playing so that all of us could play at once. And so we sat down and they were like, what are you playing? And we're like, they're playing, um, we're playing this thing called Commander. I'm like, oh, what's that? And so that started from there. And from that moment, we just kind of got the... Um, the starter decks, not the starter decks, but the pre-cons, pardon me, uh, from that year. And we started playing with that. And from that moment, I didn't want to play standard ever again or 1v1 pretty much ever again. I just wanted to play commander multiplayer. Uh, and just it was from there I I grew and flourished. One of us. One of us. I became us. One, one of, of us. them. One of yous. One of me's now. Uh, so that, that was, that was a pretty amazing experience, uh, to, cause honestly up to that point, I had never had a hobby of any kind in my life. So then, so once I found something, I was, you know, once you have all that pent up need, I kind of really got into it. And since I was later in life, I had means to be able to start buying cards. And when you get into, as you guys know, into a, uh, an eternal format, there are a lot of cards to get. <laughs> that is definitely true. That's so cool that your entire family plays. My entire family plays as well. And that's a really awesome bonding experience with the whole gang. It's really neat. It is. It's, it's a great thing. My son is really into it. Uh, I mean, he really gets into his whole thing. He just loves building decks. He, he tunes nothing. But he just play. He 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 has. I got him one of those. Um, uh, one of the tool cases, like from Home Depot where that just happened, all the slots be able to fit a whole EDH deck with some tokens in it. And he has it filled up with about 16 or 18 decks that he's built from, you know, pilfering my collection. Uh, and he just, you know, that's his thing. He'll lay tonight if he can't sleep, he gets up there and he just starts building decks. He's like, I got a great idea. I've got to build like a Merfolk deck. And he's like, okay, you go for it. And he starts um, just going from there. Uh, and a lot of kids at school are actually into it. So um, they play there sometimes. Uh, and we go as much as we can. I don't have a lot of time, unfortunately, to actually play Magic, but we go on Sundays here. And now we live here in Austin now, and so we go on Sundays to the Dragon's Lair down here where it's a, a large, diverse, but casual, fairly casual group, and we really enjoy that. It's really cool you mentioned as well that you're, you know, since you had a lot of pent-up desire to be involved in an awesome hobby and then when you found magic you kind of like dove in really far and that's definitely true because before I even knew who you were in terms of editing the articles I'd heard your name on a bunch of different podcasts such as Commanderin because you've also been 
quite a member of those communities too. EDH definitely seems as a something that you dove right into and became a Patreon for a bunch of those other folks and started, you know, submitting questions for them and stuff like that. So I'd, I've heard your name quite a lot in a lot of other corners of the EDH community. Yeah, I really did. I got I got very heavily involved over with the commander and MTG guys. Uh, I really because uh, once you start getting into the once you start getting into EDH, of course, you want to start consuming more content about it. And their show was one of the first ones I found, and, and they'd been around a long time. Uh, and I really enjoyed the dynamic they had, and I I became a patron and joined their um, uh, chat group, and really dove in. You know, I mean, it's kind of how I work, is I really got in there, and then. After that, things progressed, and I actually, you know, the opportunity came up for GP Vegas in 2016, and I joined the commander and group as we all had an Airbnb out there for that whole uh, week of uh, amazing uh, fun and thrills and adventures. So, yes. Yeah, I mean, there, there was like a week, um, you know, probably a month or two or three back where over the course of, of a single week, I heard Henry's name mentioned on like three or four different podcasts. Like we mentioned him on this show for liking some card or making some point. And then like two days later, I'm listening to Commander Time and they mention Henry, you know, throwing something out there with a card. And then uh, Brothers War podcast um, mentions him because you play in the same shop, I think, as Ryan Green, I believe. So like your name came up there too. So yeah, I mean, just you come up on all kinds of other podcasts just randomly being mentioned. Well, it's it's funny how it all works because like Austin is an amazing uh, magic town. I think I read a statistic one time that per capita, Austin has more magic shops than anywhere else in the country. And, and literally from where I live, I have at least six LGSs within five miles of me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, it is a plethora of riches. So through Commanderin, before Vegas, they came in town. Uh, one of the hosts came in town, and some of the other people, of which Ryan Green was also a big uh, listener and, and friend of the show for Commander, and we all got together at one of the LGSs around here, and we all played. This was before they had the Commander Time podcast, but it kind of was what the impetus was that inspired them to uh, go off and make their own. Because sitting there while we were playing and just talking with the hosts, the hosts were like, "Go do your own thing. You have a voice. Go do it." And so you know. Ryan was able to take that and, and really go with it. And it, that also just happens that they invited us to go be part of their, my son and I, to be part of their um, last season, or the previous season uh, of their um, meta that they talk about on their show. So that was pretty great, too. Uh, we unfortunately didn't have enough time to kind of go to every game, but the games we did go, we really enjoyed it, and we'll, we'll do again. But it was also one of those, so that's kind of one of those confluences of, that show came from there, and so I was involved there, and they mentioned me there, and Dana from EDH Rec. And, and actually, it was through EDH, through Commanderin, that um, we heard that EDH Rec was going to start doing articles. Uh, and I had mentioned to Phil, uh, since Jason was looking around, I said, you know, tell Jason that I'm, you know, I used to, you know, I, I'm trained in journalism. That was where my degree comes from. If they're looking for an editor, I'll be happy to work for them and do that. So that's how that came about. And Jade was like, sure, let's do it. That's really, really awesome. That's quite the journey. And I'm, 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 I'm really pleased that we were able to get you in it because you're, you're pretty darn good at it. It's a, a big mantle that I've had to, to take on ever since you left. Are, are you calling me fat? 
I, I was trying to pay you a compliment. Ah, no. Well, and I think it would also be a good time here to quick mention the other uh, claim to fame here Henry has. Oh, that's right. Yeah, tell us about your work, Henry. Yeah, so um, for those of you who have kids or were kids back in the 90s, uh, you may remember a show called Ben 10, which has gone through on – it was on Cartoon Network. It's gone through a lot of iterations. Well, that show was actually created by uh, my best friend, Steve Siegel, and his group they call Man of Action. Uh, and they have a newer a new version of it that's for younger kids. So Ben 10 has gone through – he grew up through many different iterations of the show and now they went to go back and try something a little more fun. So they actually brought me on and I was able to write some episodes of that. So some of the episodes that are up on Netflix, or actually one of them right there that's up on Netflix, uh, was one that I wrote. So that's some other stuff that I've done that's pretty cool. Never wrote an article for EDHREC, but he did write an entire episode for TV. So that's pretty legit. One might say he's overqualified to be hanging out with us. <laughs> that's true go. of most of our guests. If we're being <laughs> frank about that's it. true of all of our guests, yes. Uh, I think it's also pretty fun to note that actually Henry was originally going to be one of the members of the podcast before he got too busy and eventually work sort of became a, a lot. But Henry initially was one of the folks that we were auditioning with to be a member of the EDH RecCast. That's very true. I'm well, actually, we every time I hear you guys, I'm very sorry I was not able to um, make that happen. Yeah. For many they won't tell reasons. Us, they won't tell us who replaced Henry in that, that lineup, but we have a pretty good suspicion. <laughs> Whoever it is, I'm sure he's very, very handsome. <laughs> uh, I actually, the, 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 I think the tagline is the most debonair man in EDH. That could be all of us. <laughs> Probably. Put together. Right, right, right. Combined, we're as debonair as one man. We're, we're the captain planet of good looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, whose heart? I can state categorically that that's not true, um, but that's, that's very kind of you, Matt, or perhaps self-aggrandizing of you. Matt, anyway, getting well, we a little who, bit We back. know who hard is all of a sudden with Joey <laughs> trying to, to deny the accusation. You're a good-looking uh, gentleman, Joseph. Oh, thank you kindly. I want to talk about EDH, though. <laughs> Henry, what kind of decks do you like to play? What's, what's your general play style when it comes to this game? My play style has become a progression. Currently, I'm into very much into more of the casual, uh, powerful but fun style of, of builds. Uh, when I, when I first started, <laughs> when I first started and built my very first, you know, that wasn't just kind of expanded from a pre-con, uh, I, I built a shroom deck and I thought, well, this is cool. I saw some other people playing it. And so I just kept adding cards that I thought would be good. Uh, the first card I added was Tinker cause I had never heard of the ban list. until someone goes, uh, don't think so. Uh, but then it, accidentally I was playing with someone in another shop when I first got to Austin. He's like, you know, I'm tired of playing against prison decks. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't have a prison deck. And he goes, you have these cards and these cards and these cards. And I go, but they're good in my deck. So I, I, my first deck was unfortunately Shroom Prison, which then I decided to move on and make it a, Bra a Brago Blink deck, which was also just as oppressive. Uh, until my play group also then became fairly upset with me. And the, the, actually the manager at the store kind of threw up his hands. He goes, I'm tired of playing with you. Uh, so then I switched it up to Maelstrom Wanderer um, and then started kind of killing folks very fast. So yeah. initially I, I was kind of more on, actually Matt, more of the competitive side when I first started accidentally. I was accidentally more of a spike when I started. 
I was going to say, it sounds like you had a pretty good start into the format, you know, trying to actually win games now and then. I know, I know. Well, but then I stopped doing that. And um, I, I've actually, right now, so just to give you a hint, my favorite deck right now is Gaunti. Because Gaunti, to me, is the perfect 75% commander. Because whatever Gaunti's greatest strength is, is whatever everyone else is playing. And it's, it's interesting to me because for Gaunti, the, the stealing effects are, it's not quite like blue when they steal things. They kind of just take things right out of your hand or they take things that are on the table. Gaunti takes things that you don't know about, so you don't know that you're going to miss them. Uh, and I, I, like the, I like the variance of that, but at the same time, it's like the play style is the same, but it's different every time. So I'm kind of doing all the same things, but the outcome is completely different. And I enjoy that level of, Variants as opposed to more linear decks uh, and more styles along those lines. So for me, the other part of this and kind of something that's really started to inform my deck building and preferences as I've gone along is I actually don't have a lot of time to play Commander uh, with my schedule, with having a family and jobs and everything else. So when I sit down to play, I only have like maybe four or five hours, like on a Sunday, twice a month or something if I get lucky with theirs. So if I sit down across from someone, the thing I always like to try to keep in mind is, well, someone else's time is precious too. So I really want to play decks that allow everyone to play magic and advance the game. So I am really try to be more informed about the choices that I make and get away from things like prison or things like stacks or things like that, that, that are there just for the sake of it, that just slow the game down versus advancing the game and letting people have fun. I really want things that let people enjoy themselves. Uh, some of the things that I really hate the most, probably chaos. I really think, to me, we have a, a, someone in, in the meta who his favorite deck is a Warp World deck, essentially. And after the fourth Warp World, I just kind of scoop and say, I'm going on doing other things. So I do like that approach. It's it's nice because you did see a quite a big spectrum of EDH decks when you first started. You mentioned, you know, there was like a prison deck, but then there was also a really, really fast Maelstrom Wanderer deck. So you've certainly got quite the breadth of experience among those different categories. And it's it's nice that that's the conclusion that you've come to. It's not that you're always aiming to win. It's not all about the spiky. And it's not just about necessarily the expression. It, it's definitely about having a good time with people because that is the function of a game. So that's very reassuring to hear. And I also know that there are a couple of other interesting opinions that you have about how precious everyone's time is and uh, other cards that don't necessarily make for the best experience. But we'll get to that in a minute. For now, how about we go head to head? Let's do it. I, right. I, I can support that. <laughs> Henry, would you mind starting us off as our guest of honor in the head-to-head -head segment? Head-to-head. -head. Very well. I do. Uh, I, I spent a great deal of time thinking this one through. Uh, and it's going to be based off because I, I love my favorite color in Magic is, is black because it is the best color. As everyone, that's math, that everyone agrees that that is. And the, some of the things that you get in, in black are big mana. But at the same time, beyond just um, Cabal Coffers and Urborg, big mana things, you have rocks specific to black. So I wanted to do a head-to-head -head where we went looking at two mana rocks that are specific pretty much to black decks and to see which one gets played more. They are Jet Medallion and Charcoal Diamond. Jet Medallion is 
the one that reduces the cost of all of your black spells by one generic mana, but charcoal diamond is two mana rock that enters tapped but adds a black? Yep. All right. Both have been in pre-cons. And are we talking just in mono black decks or, or total uh, I'm yeah. So I'm looking at uh, I am looking at in total decks. Huh. Well, I am going to hazard a guess here right away, and I'm going to say Jet Medallion. Um, I think there's probably enough other rocks people will run at the two drop slot that don't come into play tapped. I guess there's not that many, but um, whereas, man, if you're playing mono black, you should be running Jet Medallion. I mean, just full stop. And it's probably pretty good in a lot of other decks that lean heavily into black as well. And Jet Medallion, aside from the reprint in the commander set too, I don't know if it's shown up anywhere else. It's a pretty old card, although so is Medallion. Um, but I'm still going to go with Jet Medallion. I don't know, Dana. I, I kind of want to push back. Jet Medallion isn't necessarily an auto-include in all of the mono-black decks. Because what I found when I built a mono-black deck, it was Big Mana Drana. Um, that is Drana. Uh, the... The thing that I came across was that a lot of the things that I was using were artifacts or colorless cards or X mana effects like Drana's own X ability. And that rock didn't actually help advance my mana as much as I wanted it to. So I think I'm actually going to have to go with Charcoal Diamond. As a tiebreaker, and that means you, both of you should be like trying to appeal to me to vote for your cause. <laughs> you, you'd think that, but... <laughs> but we all know but, but we we all know how much my vote really counts so i'm really torn because i like i can see arguments going on for both sides the question is do you have paradox engine in your deck or not because then one's a little more abusable whereas one you can you know get more than a one mana discount per turn so naturally matt goes straight to the combos well, we talked about spikier decks we talked about competitiveness and yeah i mean henry just got got on my level so at least somebody appreciates you know where my heart is my 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 you know i i had to i basically had to tap down the spike into the blacker parts of my soul (laughs) that's fair Um, already matt so what's your guy i'll go jet medallion but i i'm it's another one of those 51 49 type of decisions all right all right all right well just to kind of put all cards on the table here ha ha jet medallion has had two printings First in Tempest, and the second in Commander. Charcoal Diamond has had four printings. Mm-hmm. Oh. Last chance to change votes. No, I'm still good with Charcoal. Okay, okay. Uh, unfortunately, Joey. Oh, no. <laughs> I like hearing that. Uh, Charcoal Diamond appears in 4,951 decks on EDHREC, whereas Jet Medallion appears in a few more. 7,206 decks. So people uh, really, and, and I can understand why. In, in a black deck, Jet Medallion over time especially is going to net you because you can net you several reductions per turn. Uh, and it just makes everything better in black as you go along. Charcoal Diamond, Matt was right. I mean, if you were going to run it in a Paradox engine, yeah, absolutely. Jet, the real answer is Dana is fond of saying is, why not both? sure right yeah (laughs) well if you have a lot of artifacts or something like my logic's not entirely unsound i suppose but yeah i can see why it would certainly be more popular all right i will cede that one but 
As retaliation, now I'm going to have you guys guess my head-to-head. -head. I'm looking specifically at a Titania Protector of Argoth deck, that awesome mono green legend who makes elementals every time your lands die. Which is more popular, the ever-famous Crucible of Worlds, or its Crucible of Worlds on legs counterpart, Ramanop Excavator? Are we going by total number of decks, or synergy, or percentage? What are, how are we measuring that one? I like to look at the percentage of things. Okay. Well, Cru Crucible was so expensive for so long. Yeah. It, it was, but it did get reprinted. However, yeah. on the other hand, it has more printings than Ramanop, and it was around for a lot longer, so... It was, around for, it was around for a lot longer, but Ramanop Excavator also was a $2 card for a long time. I know it's it's probably like still, what, less than 5 right now, um, which is a lot easier to stomach than you know the, the $60 that Crucible was for a long, long time. Uh, I'm going to go with Ramanop Excavator for that reason and because it's one of my favorite cards ever um i think titania is one of those decks that people don't casually play so i feel like if you got a titania deck you might have just gone all in and bought the crucible even when it was expensive so i understand matt's logic but just for that reason alone um i am gonna go with crucible every titania deck i've ever seen has been somebody who was playing it a pretty tuned version of it and there was seen like one that was just dashed together or built by someone who wasn't too worried about uh, pushing the the boundaries of what they can do. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Crucible. All right, all right, all right. I've 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 heard your arguments. I've listened to your testimony, and I am uh, I'm gonna go. I'm going with Dana on this one. Uh, Titania has been one that's been around a while, and those decks. If you if you were if you're going with her, I mean the. Crucible is just such a key card. So, and it's been around, both have been around a while. I'm going to go with that as opposed to Ramen Up. Ramen Up, a lot of copies are out there now, uh, but it just hasn't had, I think, enough time to percolate through the data. Well, Henry, unfortunately. Ooh. It <laughs> uh, turns out that Crucible of the World shows up in 69% of Titania decks, but Ramen Up Excavator shows up in 94% of Titania decks. Wow. That is, that is a sharp. Sharp number. Yeah, but if that card was created for any commander, it's definitely Titania. So it's a very, very lovely fit. Matt, as the winner of that round, would you like to go next? I would love to go next. And since Henry is on, I decided that I'm going to go with a commander that I know specifically we have we have bantered and not quite knock down, drag out type discussions, but pretty close. Henry, it's not Leovold. He is banned after all. <laughs> Well, what is your number one most hated commander? Absolutely no fun. Derevi? Chloe? Take out the blue. Remember who you're talking to. What's my favorite color combination? Well, you, you asked him oh, for his least favorite. No. He can't be wrong about what his least favorite thing is. <sighs> yes, I can. Uh-oh. Gaddick Teague. Heck yes. Oh. <laughs> the hate bear himself. Uh, uh, so Gaddick Teague decks, they, they do tend to slow everything down, but, uh, I like how he equalizes the battlefield quite a bit. So in Gaddick Teague decks, what do you guys think is played in a higher percentage between Grand Abolisher and Linvala, Keeper of Silence? So Grand Abolisher is a 2-2 two, two for 2 that says during your turn, your opponents can't cast spells or activate abilities of artifacts, creatures, or enchantments. And Linvala is a 3-4 with flying for uh, 2 and 2 white. That's flying and activated abilities 
uh, of creatures your opponent's control can't be activated, so it's not limited to your turn. Which do you guys think is played in a higher percentage in Gaddock Teague decks? All right, I think I've, since since I'm on the spot here, I think I'm going to go first on this one, folks. That's fine. All right, see, now Gaddock Teague is the meanest of the mean bears. He is the meanest. The Abolisher is the grandest of the bears. And I know that a lot of, Teague is not a cheap card. I mean, if you're going in for Teague, you're going all, and if you're not playing in some of the format, and this one, you're, you're, a lot of those are hate bear decks, right? I mean, he is kind of the granddaddy. So no matter what, I still got to go with Grand Abolisher because I think that one is where, you know, he is a bear. He says no. Uh, and, and Lin Vala, I mean, Lin Vala is two bears with wings. I don't know. I don't think that, I don't think that fits. She has two bears for the cost of two bears. It has the toughness of two bears. I know. It's all bad news bears, but. (laughs) (laughs) Henry, I think I'm going to side with you on this one. Grand Abolisher seems like the pick for me too, because I know that it was reprinted in the Mono White Nahiri Commander Precon. So that means that greater availability is probably a a thing to note there. So I'm going to go with Grand Abolisher too. Dana, what do you think? Um, You know, Linvala um, has been an expensive card. It's still not cheap, but it was, you know, floating at $40 plus for quite a while there. But you know, wow. if, you're, if you're playing Gaddock Teague, you're you're probably a sociopath. So you like you'll just go steal the money from your mom's <laughs> purse, or you're like, right? I mean, you'll go like rob some kids in the playground, whatever. Like, so you can get the money to buy the Linvala card, but that's also a lot of work for those guys, and they, you know, a lot of them probably in prison, or at the very least, they've got an anchor, ankle monitor on, so they can't leave the house. So um, I'm gonna also go with Grand Abolisher because it's something that they have conveniently located in the house and they can put in the deck without having to actually break um, parole to go get a Linvala. So yeah, I'm gonna go with Abolisher as well. That was I, the most I, convoluted reasoning I've ever heard, and I love it. That was I just I just pictured Gaddock Teague players being like Will Ferrell and John C. Riley and stepbrothers where they get in fights on the playground with kids. <laughs> I'm assuming they're, uh, they're just nodding along, going, "Yeah, he, he's making a lot of sense." That, that's that's, that's me. A, Tell it's me. a cruel, cruel commander, that's for sure. It's a ra- uh, Matt? It is a very roundabout way to uh, describe it. But yes, Grand Abolisher is played in more decks. Uh, 71% of uh, Gaddock Teague decks are playing Grand Abolisher. 57% are playing Linvala. And 100% of Gaddock Teague decks are apparently miserable to play against. Sorry about that, Henry. Hopefully you never run into Matt and his uh, really big Selesnia craze. <sighs> to be fair, I've never had a Gaddock Teague deck, but I have had Yet. Gaddock Teague index. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 All right, Dana, how about you wrap it up? I got two cards for you guys um, that I'm going to use here because in playing games last night, I dropped uh, one of these two cards in three consecutive games on turn one, prompting someone to say, do you have those cards in every one of your decks? And I went and looked and I have one of these two cards in every one of my decks. And the two cards are Expedition Map and Wayfarer's Bobble. They are both one-drop artifacts that have a two-mana and tap and sacrifice ability. The difference is Expedition Map, you search your library for a land card and put it into your hand. So it can be any land card, but it goes to hand. Whereas for your two-mana for Wayfarer's Bobble, you get to actually put search for a basic, but it goes straight into play. So... X-Map is the card you want to run if you've got some kind of a really strong broken land you want to put in your hand. And Wayfarer's Bobble is a way to ramp in ramp lands in colors that don't often have land ramp. So between those two, 
which shows up in more of my decks. No, <laughs> but to which, say which shows which shows up in more decks in general. Windmill Slam on the Expedition map. I I feel as though people are just not aware of Wayfarer's Bobble and how good it actually can be. Everyone just holds up the standard of Kodama's Reach or Cultivate or even Chromatic Lantern and just assumes that that's got to be the standard for ramp spells. But Wayfarer's Bobble will totally get you there if you're not in green. But I still feel as though people just haven't given it the chance that it deserves. So Expedition map has got to be my pick. Yeah, I'm going to agree. Uh, I think Expedition Map has that reputation that carries over from uh, the 60-card formats. It's played a lot in Modern, and every now and then you'll see some, you know, insane person running it in Legacy. Uh, but yeah, if you're trying to get specific lands, which in Commander, there are a lot of very powerful individual lands, and Expedition Map grabs them as opposed to uh, the Bobble just getting a basic. So I'm going to go with Expedition Map, even though it's, uh, it's getting up there in price. It's not a, a cheap card anymore, and Bobble is dirt cheap so um, i'm gonna yeah. go with map they certainly serve different purposes but they are both very good even though bobble looks like it might be worse than some other stuff some folks will be like well like, why don't i run mindstone but like wayfarer's bobble will still sometimes get you there that's one of those artifacts that i run in that mono black deck actually because it gets me more swamps and you know what cabal coffers likes it likes swamps i i'm actually gonna go with the bobble i am gonna break ranks uh i i think that a lot of uh, I think the, I think a lot of casual folks put this in their deck because you know, if they're running in red or if they're running in some other color, uh, a lot of monocolor decks. If you're not in if you are not in green, you need some way to get lands onto the battlefield. And while you can get a land to your hand with Expedition Map, a lot of times if you're just running with a lot of decks, especially, you don't have a lot of those to get in there. But you can have as many Wayfarers Bobbles as you want. So I'm I'm going with that one. All right. Well. Henry, this is why you didn't make the cut for the podcast. You are mistaken. <laughs> very true. It's very true. It's you very are mistaken. true. It's very oh, true. No. It's um, very true. The difference is Wayfarer's Bobble is in 14,577 decks, and XMAP is in 25,161 wow. decks. I actually, That's a rounding error. That's my a rounding guess error. Was, yeah, <laughs> uh, my guess would have been XMAP, but I thought it was going to be much closer than that. I was surprised to see them, you know, 10,000 decks apart. Yeah, I... I, I I figured, actually, honestly, I thought Expedition was probably going to take it, but I, I actually didn't expect it to be that big of a gap, no, by any means. But so. I, I went and looked, and I, I do have Wayfarer's Bobble in every one of my not-green decks, and I've got XMAP in a whole lot of decks as well, so I, I am part of these numbers is me. Uh, <laughs> but, you but, are but, responsible for 11,000. Right, those. exactly, right. But, yeah, but you're, you're playing both sides, Dana. Okay, so... Henry, I know that I, I brought up Gaddick Teague and probably had some flashbacks for you. But one thing that we wanted to kind of talk about, you had, you had mentioned earlier uh, that you like to, to value your time. You don't get to play a whole lot. So you want to have positive experiences when you have games. So what are some cards that you think, and I know we've had private conversations. But let's have a public one about cards that you don't think make for the best experience. You mentioned chaos cards a little bit. What are some types of cards or maybe in some specific ones that you don't think people should be playing that obviously are because, you know, we have the numbers to prove it. Um, what are some cards that you think make for bad playing experiences? Well, so like, look, well, let's, let's look at chaos decks. So for a lot of chaos decks, I mean, they're, they're built around the idea of they take the variance in the game and push it to the max because what they want is those players. They just want the chaos itself. They want that variance taken to the extreme. And 
the problem with any chaos deck, no matter what it is, is it becomes a nightmare of triggers. It becomes a nightmare of targeting. It becomes just a nightmare of stack manipulation. Uh, so really, some of the cards that I, I really kind of hate are some of the you know authors write about these cards quite often. But Possibility Storm. Fair. Uh, All right. Possibility Storm. Once that hits the table, everyone is like, oh, because like Dana likes to talk about, it's taking away what your deck is, is built to do. Right. Everyone's deck is now going to do something completely different, which is rather the point. But that just means also that you can, it's hard to plan for anything. It's hard to advance a board because you don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, Warp World, Scrambleverse, um, Goblin Games, Thieves Auctions, things like this. It's just all these things that they, they just all they focus on is pushing the variance of the game onto everybody in a way that you can't plan anything and you never know when the game is going to end until people just really in the end kind of give up. So, so, so here's, here's kind of a question to like modify on that. There are some decks that use chaos to their advantage to try and generate extra value by de completely destabilizing the board and trying to use that element to their advantage. The thing that comes to mind when you mention Possibility Storm is Mishra, Artificer Prodigy. That's mm -hmm. that weird Grixis commander who has a very bizarre ability. Whenever you cast a spell, you get another copy of that from your... Uh, it has to be an artifact. You get another copy of that artifact, I think, from your deck or from your graveyard or from your hand or whatever. It's very weird, and it doesn't usually work in Commander because, you know, singleton mm -hmm. format. But if you have Possibility Storm on the battlefield, then it will be... You know, the card, your spell, your artifact will be possibility storm to go away, but then Mishra himself will actually bring it back. So that's kind of a way to take advantage of the chaos. What do you think about that kind of style? Well, to me, though, that's not using it as a chaos card. It's using it as a stacks piece. And Mishra is the way you break parity. So you're, you're trying to prevent other users from gaining value from the cards in their hand by gathering something they may or may not want out of it, whereas you actually get both. You get whatever comes off the top, as well as the card you intended. So you are breaking the chaos from it. There is no chaos for you necessarily. I mean, you, there are some variants because of what you get off the top, but that's more a, a way of you slowing your opponents down and gaining value from it. So in that case, it's that's not necessarily the chaos decks I'm necessarily talking about. That's more of like a stacks piece. But, but even then, uh, if you're doing it just for that, unless you're doing it in a way that you're advancing your own board with meaningful artifacts that can let you end the game as opposed to things that just like grind you out value then i'm i have a different take on that because then it has some meaning and some purpose for what you're doing beyond just variance for its sake and that's because the moment you get variance for its sake you're really taking away time from everyone else because the game is going to grind and the game is going to grind and grind and so now you're going to run into you know a game that instead of going like an hour is now going to be two and a half hours three hours. Uh, and, and to me, that is, that, that's not respecting other people's time, limited time that they may have to play. And gotcha. so things so, like that. So yeah. even though that's, you know, sort of a more of a stacks strategy than it is necessarily mm -hmm. a chaos strategy, I take it that stack strategies are also not necessarily up your alley. Well, he did build again, a Sharoom deck. I did. Let's I remember. Did. Accident so he made so it, it, I, I will use that as I know of what I speak because a stacks deck can be fine, provided that it actually is built to utilize the stacks in a way that you actually can break parity and actually can win and end the game as opposed to just grinding people and grind their souls into the dust just for the sake of watching the life drain from people's eyes. 
and part of this comes back to actually, you know, as you move along in your deck building experience, learning to put actual win cons in your deck in a way of winning the game. A lot of stacks decks, they really get hyped up on getting the stacks pieces. A lot of chaos decks, let's get all these chaos pieces in there just for the sake of it. But they don't actually have a way of ending the game. And so these huge, long games happen where no one gets to do anything, but everyone is still stuck in the game. And that's really, from coming from my perspective and my limited time that I have is, to me, very, I almost call it rude of the other person because that means that they don't respect my time uh, as well as necessarily their own. I mean, they may have all the time in the world. I, I don't. So these are things that, you know, when people go, well, why do you care about that? It's because I, I like to play magic and I want to play the game. But if you're building a deck that its only purpose in life is to prevent people from actually playing the game, you know, don't sign me up for that. It sounds like you, you're more saying play what you want, but be intentional about how you do it. And I, I know Dana has said that several times on the podcast before. Uh, do you think that's kind of an accurate takeaway is, you know, if you're going to do these things, be intentional about it? Absolutely. And well, beyond just intentional, have a goal. Beyond just like, because if you think of it in some way, you can say, well, yes, my intention is for no one to play magic. It's like, okay, yes, you, you know, achievement unlocked. But um, to have a, an end goal that hopefully is not just grind everyone out until there's, you know, nothing left but a gibbering pile of flesh across the table. <laughs> Sounds like you just need to play with more group hug decks. No. That's what I think. I'm happy to provide. <laughs> I, I'm curious of Henry's opinion on group hug decks. Okay. Yeah. I, I, have a, a, I have a changing opinion of group hug. Early on, I was A-okay with group hug. Group hug's great. You know, it's ever helping everyone. We, we, everyone gets to do crazy things. Anymore, I, 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 I will admit, I have fallen into Dana's camp into I, uh, I, I, I kill the group hug player first. But they're helping everybody play, though, and that's what no, you want. No, they're not. They're 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 changing how everyone's deck works. <laughs> they're, they're they're you know if if I build a deck, I build it to do something. A group hug deck is now changing that in a way that I built it to go at a certain pace. I built it to have certain tools and things, and accelerating it to a certain point before. Not even to say before I'm ready, but. Everyone accelerating to a point where all you have are these enormous board states where nothing happens because, again, group hug without intent necessarily. You, you get to just another form of, of almost a chaos deck where everything is there, but nothing really happens. So I just I kill them first. It's it's funny to me. Like I, I just like exploring, seeing which uh, traditional EDH styles, you know, get the Henry thumbs up or the Henry thumbs down. <laughs> um, but it's pretty funny to me to hear that those decks that especially mess with the traditional way that the game is played, and especially ones that can kind of grind things to a halt, that those would be, you know, you'd take such umbrage with them. When I also happen to know about you, and in fact, Matt has made a couple of jokes about this on the cast before, that the decks that do things a little too soon are also kind of the things that get your goat. Dare I say the word laboratory maniac in the presence of Henry Stukenborg? <laughs> uh, apparently, the ghost, uh, apparently the ghost of Lab Man has appeared. Uh, <laughs> look, Lab Man to me is, and, and some of these Altwin con cards, I put in this, they lead to, they, they are, they're kind of afterthought cards thrown into a deck whose only purpose in life is I'm just going to draw the cards. 
And their only purpose in life is to slow everything down and draw the cards. If you build something where you turbo out Lab Man, like on turn three, and you can, you know, get through your deck and win the game then, more power to you. Let's scoop it up and play another game. But if you sit there and dirtle and just have counterspell.deck where your only win con is Lab Man, but, all you, but you actually have nothing but draw spells and counters, I don't want to see it. I don't want to experience that. If you want to gold, as the thing I like to say, if you want a goldfish, don't invite me. So, so Henry, I guess the question is, we know you don't like stacks decks anymore. We, we know you don't like prison. You don't like chaos. You don't like group hug. You don't like lab man. What do you like? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm fine with, with aggro decks. You want to get some beat sticks down, get some beat sticks down. Uh, I like combo decks. Combo decks are fine. So long as they're combo decks again with intent and with a way of actually executing the combo in a relatively quick fashion. Um, my, my favorite deck is Gaunti, as I mentioned. It, it has some variance built in, but it's, it's variance in kind of what happens. And, but there's still, I really like having decisions. So with Gaunti, I have to make lots of decisions when I take the top four cards of someone and say, okay, which of these can I use? Which of these gonna be great now? Which are gonna be later? Or which answer things that I can't do anything about in mono black? And that's also one of the things I love about Gaunti is, it allows me to extend the tools that I have available to me that I can't, you know, I can only put, I know, 99 car, other cards in my deck. But with Gaunti, I get to very often, I will have another full hand of seven or eight cards that I can sit there and choose from and give me more decisions and chances to use someone else's win con against them. I, one time with Gaunti, I took someone's um, mind over matter combo out of their deck. I got both pieces. Uh, and I also had um, the... Uh, the black wizard that is basically uh, Magus of the Coffers, who's also a wizard. So with Mind mm -hmm. Matter, I was able to tap and untap him and generate infinite mana and just, you know, kill everybody with, with that guy's own combo. And that was great. So th those are kind of some of the things I like to do. Or some of the other favorite things I love with Gaunti is that when you see the combo player desperately searching and tutoring through their deck, looking for their other combo piece, and I just kind of lightly start touching the card that I just took from them <laughs> with my hand going, uh, you looking for something? And they go, no. I love that. Because you know, face. you know. My, my lab man. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't care if, if, if there's other cards in the, I mean, if there's other cards possible, if I see a lab man, I just take it just on principle. <laughs> yeah, Gaunti, they're a pretty powerful commander. I've been pretty impressed every time that I've seen them. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious now. We've discussed a couple of, you know, EDH rec etiquette. EDH reticate, I suppose, things that, uh, you know, that Henry's got opinions on. But Matt, Dana, what do you guys think? Are there certain strategies that, you know, kind of rub you the wrong way as well that you think that folks should maybe avoid? Call me the competitive player of the group, but I think there's a time and a place for every type of deck and every strategy. Um, it's just doing it in moderation. Kind of take Henry's point a step further. Be intentional about it, but then, I mean, back off on it. You know, if, uh, you know in my old play group when I lived in Missouri... Uh, we all had these hyper powerful decks. I had my Narset deck. Uh, my best friend had a Niv uh, or a Mizzix deck. Uh, his brother had a, a Carador deck, and they were all very, very powerful. We did very big, splashy things. But like after a while, we're like, okay, let's have fun now. You know, we we bashed you know the the American Gladiator type decks against each other. Now let's play something else. So I think as long as you guys, you know, in in your play group, communicate well, everybody understands, and then you know let so and so have their fun with their you know, Gaddock Teague deck, and then they'll play something else and, you know, everybody can, you know, 
get it out of their system and, and then have fun afterwards. So um, as long as everything's done in moderation and you guys are communicating within your play group, I don't really have a problem with any set deck as long as it doesn't become an issue within your play group. Um, I will say I, I don't really have anything that bothers me um, per se about what someone does outside of my field of vision. Like if you and all your friends, you know, want to play a certain way, that's that's great if you are enjoying yourself to each his own. Some people like, you know, pineapple on their pizza. Some people have souls like it's I, I get it. Everyone's a little bit different. I will say, however, in the games I'm playing, when I'm sitting down, I want to see an interesting deck do an interesting thing, and I want to then beat that deck. So it, I understand what um, Henry's saying absolutely about, like, I, I value people's time and want them to be able to do their thing. But the other layer of that is it's not necessarily very satisfying for me to win a game when someone isn't attempting to do their thing. I want to to beat them while they're successfully trying to make their deck work. And when I see something like, you know, a stacks deck or something too prisony or or chaos or whatever, winning that game then feels way less satisfying for me personally because I think I didn't beat them at their best. I beat the champ when he was, you know, on his way down then or, or however you want to look at it. I want to beat that deck in its prime. Um, so at least for me when I play a game, um, in addition to sharing Henry's thoughts on not wanting wanting people to be able to play and enjoy themselves, I also want to be able to relish my victory knowing I, I feel like I earned it, I guess. And if I'm locking someone out of playing their deck, it feels way less earned for me. That's a really excellent way to put it, I think. Like, you've sort of given voice to, I, I, I think a phenomenon that we experience a lot you can go on reddit you can go on any area of the edh community and you'll see a lot of folks especially you know don't like mass land destruction or another one might be you know massive discard effects like mind slicer is another one a lot of folks also kind of don't like out of nowhere combos that suddenly take over the game and the thing that seems to always be an underlying factor for each of those those feelings those those complaints is always like that there's no interaction happening there if my lands are gone i can't actually play the game if my hand is discarded i can't interact with you if you combo out of nowhere it feels as though it, uh, the game ended in a pretty cheap way and i've voiced my opinions about combo before that sometimes i think it does take actually a bit more intention and behind the scenes maneuvering to craft intelligently but even then the complaints are still valid that people are clearly you know, we play this game for that interactive experience. And so when you do things, you know, like the mass land destruction or whatnot, then you remove that interaction. Yep. Yes, I think that's a great point. I mean, I, I have, as I like to say, um, Henry's hangups about different cards and different strategies and what have you. And everyone can play the deck that they love to play. Just do it with, as Matt says, intention and actually have a way of ending the game. If you're going to do a combo, do the combo. Don't do not do a... You know, like when Joey, when you mentioned if they have a combo that takes over the game, I, I don't want to see a combo that takes over the game. I want to see a combo that will win the game. You know, if, if you win, mm. win. Don't just do it for value. Don't just sit there and go, oh, I'm going to draw 15 cards and I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to flash this in. And that's all in response to you, like, you know, uh, casting a Cultivate and I've done 15 things. And then I just say, okay, go ahead. Uh, because honestly, I my original Maelstrom Wanderer deck was much more tuned and would win quickly. And so I, I backed it off and made it less powerful. But unfortunately, I kind of built a value-only version of it. So 
eventually people were like, we really don't like playing against that deck because it doesn't, it does a lot of things, but doesn't accomplish anything. So that's the kind of thing that I've recognized. I'm like, oh yeah, no, I can't be doing that. So, so Henry, you brought up a really good point and it's something that I wanted to ask you about, you know, in the, we kind of talked about before we started recording is uh, how you use the site. You talked about dialing back the power level a little bit. Since we are, you know, associated with EDH Rec, we might as well talk about the site just a hair. Just um, a smidge. How, how do you enjoy using the site to adjust your power level, whether it's up or down? What What's some tips that you have? How do you use the site sure. yourself, et cetera? Sure. Well, so like, because I came in late, I, I can I can usually get, you know, I mean, I'm not going to be getting like a library of Alexandria beyond it being banned. I'm not, you know, dropping down, you know, $1,000 on a card, but I, I, can, I can get a lot of cards so I can build very powerful decks, but... A lot of folks, especially because my kids play too when we go to the store. You know, I sit down in a pod with my kids. I mean, they're playing. My son has built his, you know, untuned version of his deck, and my daughter's playing the, pre, you know, precons. I'm not going to be trying to pull out just, you know, the absolute destructo decks. So I, I tend to go and I actually go to the site, and when I look at a commander, I go, okay, what is the kind of the? I start with a what is you know the the base list or the popular list uh, that EDH Rec provides. And I kind of, uh, I'll even actually build that first list and use that when I go out and just kind of, then I'll start using it in tune from there. I'll start looking at some of the, I start kind of looking at some of the percentages of some of the more popular cards. And then I try to go down and say, okay, well, what are some of the, you know, not as popular? Are they because they're worse versions or are they because they do something quite, you know, a little different? And if they do something different, I start following those breadcrumbs. It's like, well, what if I look at the differences and let's start following on the site? Where else is this card used and which commanders? And then I might even change things up and go, okay, well, I want to now explore, you know, uh, instead of just necessarily like plus one counters, let me look at charge counters and let me start building a deck that's actually more that. And I tend to end up with something that's not terribly powerful, but it's fun to play and something that I can bring out and, and, you know, generally play in the pod, go from there. Yeah, I think that's all advice because one of the things that I tend to hear from folks who are maybe a bit more competitive, like, they they don't just want to, you know, us playing the game to have fun is certainly the point of a game, but they also are definitely trying to challenge themselves to, to get better. And that experience that you just mentioned there is still a way that you can continue to do that. Yeah, I think it's a way that you, you can, uh, well, also, it, the other thing it does, is it gets me out of my my shell, so to speak, or my comfort zone. Because right. it's like, I may whittle with this particular one kind of deck, I may just try and like then include the same cards every time because I like them and they're good cards. But then it's like, well, okay, but then they're always, I, I know what the result's going to be. So let me start branching out and saying, okay, well, here's some other aspects of the game that I, you know, haven't necessarily explored as much. Uh, like for like one of my new projects that I have coming up is I'm trying to come up with some kind of unique take on a spell slinger deck. Cause I mean, I, I had a Mizzix deck years ago when Mizzix came out and kind of, you know, tuned that up. But then, then I stopped after I played against a Gaddock Teague player and all my X spells wouldn't work anymore. Don't you hate it when that happens? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good. Yes. Good. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm kind of starting to use the site to kind of explore some of the, the, the other, and I'm, you know, just use my own experience of, of decks that I've seen and kind of see what kind of, what kind of experience do I want to try to explore with a Spellslinger deck? So. Well, I'm glad that the Spellslinger style gets the Henry thumbs up. Oh, no, it's degenerate. Never play it. <laughs> oh, n- n- never, never mind then. 
All right. I've got another kind of weird question for you, Henry. Yeah. Just, you know, wrapping up on your Henry's hangups. From a fun perspective, are there any cards that you think should be banned or possibly unbanned? Just kind of curious. You know, I'm I'm actually I, I was talking with Matt about this before the cast and, and I went I actually looked on the ban list um for uh, EDH over at the the rules committee site and I, I honestly don't see any reason why primetime can't be unbanned given the yes. current meta. I mean I'm I'm with Matt. I think primetime can come back. I, you know, Wizards allows it in, in their 1v1, their online version of Commander, and it doesn't destroy the format. I, I think, you know, it's a creature, as, as the old saying goes, dies to Doomblade. Uh, it's, it's, it has a powerful effect. Now, Sylvan Primordial, that's got to stay banned. But Primetime, Primetime can come off. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with letting that back into the meta. And with that, we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd no, like to thank not. my co-host for joining you me. pipe down, Joey. We're going to enjoy this moment. <laughs> No, sorry. I, I I do kind of disagree. I think primetime twists the game a bit too much. But it, it's nice to hear that the opinion that you have about, you know, fun in the game, your reaction isn't, oh, I need this band, I need that band. It's actually an unbanning. That's really quite a relief to see, because I feel like a lot of us can get kind of trapped if there's styles or whatever that we, we don't like that we can get kind of caught in a negative spiral. So it's nice to see that that isn't like manifesting there. It's not like a, just pure bitterness that is making you think like, oh, these styles aren't fun and therefore everyone needs to experience the game the same way as me. What you actually want is to open up more doors so that more people can have fun. I, I think that's refreshing to hear. Well, uh, uh, full disclosure, actually what I want to see those decks so that I can then just do nothing but bitterly complain about them because yeah, oh. that's my, you know, that's how I was raised. Self-serving on ban. I, I get it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Matt, I really hope that check clears that you sent me. So. Uh, the, wow. I, shh. <laughs> hush hush <laughs> okay folks let's wrap it up with challenge the stats y'all know this one this is a really fun segment where we like to look at some cards that are maybe seeing too little play or perhaps too much play dana do you mind starting us off i absolutely can my card would be renounce the guilds it is a instant from dragon's maze so it's a high-powered card obviously I'm not sure that's what that means. A, a white and a colorless. And it just says, each player sacrifices a multicolored permanent. It's in 252 decks. Um, I run it in my mono white Jeru deck. And, I mean, I've probably cast it 15 to 20 times since I've had it in a deck. And it's never not generated really solid value because it's a mono white deck, so it never hits me. And it almost always hits one or two commanders and pretty often something else. So, I mean, it's not anything that is backbreaking or anything, but I don't think I'm going to ever take it out of that deck. I'd have to find something else that generates that kind of value at instant speed. It's just a really solid card, and I think there's probably way more mono white decks out there that could find a home for it. That's a really good pick now that you mentioned it, especially within a mono-colored deck. Because as we saw in a statistics episode that we did ages ago, like the, the overwhelming majority of decks are more than two colors. They're, they're two colors or the three colors or something. Very few folks actually tend to run monocolor decks. So you're almost always going to be able to get someone's commander with this particular card. That's a really good selection. Why, thank you. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd really never given this card the time of day, but I, I do like that. Most of the permanents that people are going to have on the board are going to be probably monocolored creatures or colorless artifacts or something, but this will definitely be able to hit commanders. Good tech, Dana. I like that a lot. Matt, 
How about you? Sure. So I was uh, talking with Benny Smith. Uh, he's a fairly you know well-known uh, EDH writer for Star City Games. Does a lot of brewing. Uh, plays a lot of Magic. He's very, very fun. I, I love reading his articles. If you guys don't read his articles, definitely go check it out. Uh, people of all playing skill and, and levels can definitely learn something from Benny's uh, Benny's writing. So he and I were talking a little bit about a, a modern deck that he brewed uh, that is similar to one that I played for a little bit. and was very near and dear to my heart. And so I started looking at some of the commander numbers for a lot of those key decks. So he was playing Safi Eric's daughter in this deck. Uh, he was playing along next side uh, Tishar, the, the new Dominaria legend that I, I brewed the uh, KCI deck for one of my articles a few weeks ago. And I got to thinking, I haven't seen Safi Eric's daughter in a deck in a long, long time. So currently, Safi has only played in 3,362 decks. And Safi uh, is back from Time Spiral, so I'll, I'll read the card real quick. It's uh, green and a white for 2-2. Two, two, and you sacrifice Safi Eric's daughter when target creature is put into the graveyard from play this turn, return that card to play. So you're basically getting a free reanimation. It's board wipe insurance, but there's a lot of really fun combos you can do. It goes infinite with Renegade Rallier and a Sacrifice Outlet. Uh, there's a lot of ways to recur it and just kind of keep changing things through. Obviously, there's some dirty things like with Protean Hulk and, and stuff that nobody... You're not going to make any friends. Henry will not play with you if you do that combo. I can tell you that much. But Safi's just a really, really good card. It's a lot of utility. It went up. It got really expensive for a little bit, but it's settled back down. It's like a $5 card now. But there's just a lot of utility that can go with it. And for only, you know, being played in about 3,300 decks, I think that number should go up just a hair. Alrighty. You know, I do like stuff in any color that returns things from the graveyard, so that's a good pick, Matt. Especially because my pick this week is also going to return stuff from the graveyard. Go on. The, the card that I'm challenging is Dance of the Dead. This is an enchantment that's fairly similar to the card Animate Dead. It has, on its original printing, it has that really funny sentence in its type line, Enchant Dead Creature, which is just one of my favorite things to appear on any card. The actual errata for the card is kind of complicated, but basically what this is is a two-mana enchantment that will bring any creature from a graveyard back onto the battlefield. However, it brings it in tapped. That creature gets plus one, plus one, but it doesn't untap during your untap step unless you pay attacks of one generic and one black mana. That's not exactly great, but at the same time, I think this is a really unsung hero for reanimator stuff. At the moment, Animate Dead shows up in... 18,880 decks. That's a lot. And clearly Animate Dead is probably the superior card when it comes to any of these. But when I have one Animate effect in my deck, I want more. Necromancy is another one that I've talked about before, but that only shows up in 6,232 decks. Definitely underplayed, but Dance of the Dead shows up in just about half of what Necromancy shows up in only 3,380. And frankly, all three of them will get the job done. Dance of the Dead bringing the creature that died, you know, bringing that dead creature back into play tapped kind of hurts. But generally speaking, if you're paying two mana to get a huge creature back into play, like a Jingataxius or a Consecrated Sphinx, the fact that it's tapped is going to be a lot less important than the effect that it gives you as soon as it's on the battlefield. So I think that if you're playing Reanimator, like you should be, because Reanimator is awesome, then this is a really good choice for you. It also has fantastic art. Yeah, that, this that, is that, that art is great. It, it, the art is straight out of a Scooby-Doo episode 
Oh, that's completely not true. Oh it's, no, I'm I'm, no, I'm, I'm, is... I'm with Matt. I'm waiting for him to pull uh, pull for old man Cratchit to have his mask pulled off. And just, oh, jinkies! Gotten... Oh, you got us. <laughs> I'd have gotten away for it if it weren't for you, darn meddling kids. I feel like jinkies is the thing that Safi Eric's daughter is actually saying in her artwork. You now that's just that's just unnecessary. What did Safi ever do to you? She's I, she's, I like Safi. she's doing reanimator stuff. Sorry, she's in green white. Can't this be a middle ground for us, Joseph? I, I like Safi. I also like Velma. And I like Dance of the oh, Dead. They're all very, stop. very good. I think it's pretty underrated. The effect is still powerful. Anyway, Henry, how about we wrap up with your challenge to stats? Sure. I'm going to go with uh, something in a Gaunti deck because being my favorite, uh, I love the mono black. And the great thing about Gaunti is since you're stealing uh, everyone else's stuff and you could use mana of any color to cast it. You want a lot of mana. And Mono Black has a lot of ways of doing it. But one way that I do not see enough and I does and is not in enough Gaunti decks is Bubbling Muck. Bubbling Muck is an old, old one. For it's a one black sorcery that reads, Until end of turn, whenever a player taps a swamp for mana, it adds an additional swamp. It adds additional black mana. So this is only in 13% of Gaunti decks. And it should absolutely be in much more. Because you're going to have a lot of swamps, you're going to have a ridiculous amount of ways of making a ridiculous amount of mana, and if you steal any kind of X spells or, like my deck is built around just, you know, getting Gaunti to blink or cast or something many, many times, so you often wind up with a whole separate grip of seven or eight cards, you want to be able to cast those all in one turn. And Bubbling Muck is a way that will allow you to do that, give you that quick burst early on, and it's also something that gives you an insane amount of mana later in the game. I, you know, I can't say I disagree. The fact that it's a one-shot effect has sometimes scared me from the spell, but when I put it in my mono black deck, it paid off in dividends. Sometimes you just need that extra bit, you know, if you're going to, I mean, and, you know, games do have to end, as um, Dana and company are fond of saying. And sometimes if you're going to do a Torment of Hailfire and, and be basic, uh, you need that extra mana to go over the top and make sure you get those last few points of um, precious life from your opponents. Yeah, and it's one of those cards, too, like, I'm just always shocked because High Tide has such a reputation as being such a card, and, yeah, Bubbling Muck doesn't somehow piggyback off that. People don't go, oh, there's a black High Tide. I mean, it's granted sorcery speed, but, yeah, I'm, I'm just always shocked at how little play it sees. Yep, I'm with you. Nice pick. Alrighty, Henry, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Are there any final pebbles of wisdom that you'd like to leave us with before we wrap up the show sure uh don't play blink decks <laughs> oh that's not what i expected that was... is that another one of those things that gets a thumbs down from henry yeah it gets a thumbs down for me uh dana you can tell max please stop i will i will for sure let him know <clears throat> yeah you know this this is why i like henry he's got a lot of opinions but frankly you know i play nice on the show but i have a lot of opinions too i think it's one of those prerequisites for being an editor it's true you have nice opinions though Oh, that's only because I uh, I make you think that I have nice opinions. Well, as soon as you start playing necromancy, you start getting some dark opinions too. Wonderful. And on that note, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Dana? You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me once a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And Henry, thank you again for coming on the show. Where can folks find you? On the uh, porch, you... handing out Werther's. 
get off wow. get off my damn porch. <laughs> uh, you may actually find me on the uh, yeah. You may find me on the tweeting tubes at at Henry Stukenborg, spelled S T U K E N B O R G. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenneth Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. Follow EDHREC and the EDHREC cast on Facebook and Twitter. We're doing a giveaway when EDHREC gets 5,000 likes and when the cast gets 1,000 followers on Twitter. So head on over there to smash those like buttons for a chance at a cool prize. You can also contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com and you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast too. This podcast is posted every week on EDHREC's community content spotlight section where we feature as many other content creators as we can from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Listen, we don't know if that was me <laughs> or somebody else. There's no proof either way conclusively. So let's not start throwing around baseless accusations. I concur. I can do <laughs> You alright, Matt? No. Just the delivery was just <laughs> eight plus, David. <laughs>